Section 16 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 4, edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Chemistry. Chapter 12. The Development of Organic Chemistry. Lavoisier showed that organic substances were composed principally of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, together with nitrogen, and sometimes sulfur and phosphorus. He had observed that an element was capable of forming more than one oxide, and from this he concluded that organic radicals deported themselves similarly. He consequently regarded sugar as the neutral oxide d'un radical hydrocarbonu, and oxalic acid as its higher oxide. He even hazarded the conjecture that the fatty oils, which he considered to be hydrocarbons, might actually constitute organic radicals in the free state, and might, by oxidation, be converted into neutral oxides and vegetable acids. Among Lavoisier's other investigations in organic chemistry, his research on the process of vinous fermentation is worthy of mention. He expressed the results in the form of the equation, three ounces, seven gross of water, plus two pounds eight ounces sugar produce on fermentation one pound seven ounce five gross eighteen grains of alcohol plus one pound of carbonic acid in this equation says he there is only sugar whose constitutional parts are unknown to me i know the composition of water of alcohol and of carbonic acid and nothing is easier than to substitute these values in the equation established and then deduce the constituent parts of sugar However, Lavoisier did not regard organic chemistry as a separate division of the science. He classed all acids together, and like Limerie in 1675, subdivided them into mineral, vegetable, and animal acids. With a few exceptions, the immediate followers of Lavoisier followed the same plan, and the division of chemistry into inorganic and organic chemistry was not generally adopted until it became clear that several compounds occur both in the vegetable and animal kingdom, and therefore that no difference existed between vegetable and animal chemistry. In this connection, the work of M. E. Chirot, 1786 to 1889, should be emphasized, as it was his investigations which demonstrated that many of the fats and acids and other substances occurring in both kingdoms were identical. However, for some time subsequently, considerable doubt prevailed as to the boundary of inorganic and organic chemistry. One reason for this was that inorganic substances, as well as some which had to be considered as organic, gave on analysis numbers which demonstrated that their composition was in accordance with the laws of constant and multiple proportions. As Berzelius stated in 1811, the majority of organic substances, however, appeared not to obey these laws and consequently he undertook to decide this question by the analysis of a large number of them. After years of labor and after improving the appliances and methods of organic analysis, he finally obtained results which proved that although most organic compounds possessed a much more complicated composition than the mineral compounds, yet they obeyed the laws of constant and multiple proportions. He adopted the views of Lavoisier and said, after we got a clearer insight into the difference existing between the products of organic and inorganic nature and the different manner in which their ultimate components are united with each other, we find this difference consists really in the fact that in inorganic nature 
all oxidized bodies contain a simple radical, while all organic substances are oxides of compound radicals. The radicals of vegetable substances consist generally of carbon and hydrogen, and those of animal substances of carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen. In his ideas as to these radicals, he was especially influenced by the research of Gay-Lussac upon cyanogen, in which he showed that this radical played the role of an element. Attempts were multiplied to discover the various organic substances having complex groupings of atoms which performed as elements. Thus, Gay-Lussac regarded alcohol as ethylene and water. Dubereiner considered oxalic acid as carbonic acid and carbon monoxide. As Berzelius pointed out, this was opposed to the electrochemical theory, and there was danger of confusion and error. The search for the proximate constituents in organic substances induced a rapid development of the science, leading especially to many efforts at definitely determining the chemical constitution of these bodies. One of the most important of the discoveries in the third decade was that of isomerism. This was viewed as an error by chemists at first, so little prepared were they to believe that bodies similarly composed could be chemically and physically different. It was in the year 1823 that Liebig announced that his analysis of silver fulminate yielded the same results as Wohler had found in the preceding year for his silver cyanate. He was confident that his figures were correct and believed that Wohler must have made a mistake. A careful repetition of the analyses showed him that both were correct, and so it was proved that two bodies, totally unlike, could and did have the same composition. Gay-Lussac saw that the only explanation of this lay in the different mode in which the elements were combined. In 1826, Berzelius reported on Liebig's fulminate of silver as follows. This substance has been made the subject of a new joint investigation by Gay-Lussac and Liebig, and the result is of the utmost interest. Fulminate of silver dried at 100 degrees loses all its water, and in three experiments they found between 16.87 and 17.38% cyanogen, the mean being 17.16%. The silver oxide was separated by hydrochloric acid and was found to be 77.528% of the weight of the salt. These quantities add up to 94.688%. The deficiency is only 5.312%, a quantity absolutely equal to that of the oxygen in the silver oxide. Hence, the salt was composed of 77.528% of silver oxide and 22.472% of cyanic acid. But this result is identical with that obtained by Wohler in his analysis of silver cyanate in spite of which agreement between the analytical results, the two substances have not the same properties. The chief difference is that Wohler's cyanate of silver, when heated by itself, does not explode, but only burns with moderate intensity. And further, that when decomposed by acids, it is completely changed into carbonic acid and ammonia, while fulminic acid has explosive properties and gives ammonia and prussic acid when its salts are decomposed by oxyacids. These facts point, unquestionably, to a difference in composition. Jaris Bericht, 1826. In 1825, Michael Faraday announced the results of his work on the hydrocarbons from oil gas when he demonstrated the existence of butylene, an isomer of ethylene. In 1827, Brazilius commented on this discovery in part as follows. The two gases are of like constitution, 
but a given volume of the one contains twice as many simple atoms as does the other, and this produces a certain dissimilarity in physical and chemical character. Definite knowledge concerning this phenomenon would be of such significance in the doctrine of the composition of vegetable and animal bodies, and would have so important a bearing on organic chemistry, that it must not be accepted as demonstrated until its truth has been subjected to the most severe proof. It is not my intention to dispute the possibility or the actuality of such a fact, but I maintain that before accepting it with confidence, the relation observed by Faraday must be found in a number of other cases. In 1832 and 1833, Berzelius formally adopted the addition to the doctrine of chemical composition rendered necessary by these observations, and suggested his classical classification of the new phenomena, concluding as follows. But since it is requisite that we should be able to express our conceptions by definite and appropriately chosen terms, I have proposed to call substances of the same composition and of different properties isomeric, from the Greek isomeri, composed of equal parts. The general designation isomerism has since then been retained. Brazilius soon saw himself necessitated to define more strictly the meaning to be attached to this word, and therefore he distinguished between polymerism and metamerism as special cases of isomerism. The ideas of Brazilius with regard to the probable cause of isomerism in organic compounds are clearly shown in many of his statements. In his view, isomeric compounds are those in which the atoms of the elementary constituents have grouped themselves differently into compound radicals. The isomerism of compounds in itself presupposes that the positions of the atoms in them must be different. And it appears that he considered it possible to determine the mutual relations of the atoms in their compounds. At the period that is now reached, to quote Karl Schorlemmer, we find Berzelius laying stress again on a difference between organic and inorganic substances, first pointed out by Gmelin, 1817, and according to which the latter, but not the former, could be prepared artificially. Berzelius was of opinion that within the sphere of living nature, the elements obeyed laws totally different from those ruling in inanimate nature. It was then commonly supposed that the compounds found in plants and animals were produced by the action of a so-called vital force, and that although they might be changed into other compounds, none of them could be prepared artificially from their elements. Thus, grape sugar, a compound widely distributed in the vegetable kingdom, by fermentation yielded alcohol, which could be converted into ether, acetic acid, and many other compounds, and all of these were considered to be organic, as none of them could be prepared synthetically. It was Friedrich Wohler's synthesis of urea which finally removed this obstacle to the growth of organic chemistry. In 1828, Wohler made the discovery that cyanate of ammonia, which was regarded as an inorganic compound, could be converted into urea, a substance hitherto known only as a product of animal metabolism. This was the first synthesis of an organic compound, and is generally referred to as marking the beginning of scientific organic chemistry. Yet it remained an isolated fact for a long time, and failed to shake the belief in a vital force, a belief which was maintained during the lapse of many years. In 1830 and 1831, Liebig perfected and simplified the operations for the ultimate analysis of organic compounds, and this to such a degree that his processes have not required any essential alterations 
to fit them to modern requirements. These perfected methods enabled Liebig to carry out his famous researches in Gießen, work which renders a brief biographical mention of this master fitting. Eustace Liebig was born at Darmstadt on May 12, 1803. The fact of his father being a dealer in dyestuffs brought him early into contact with laboratory problems. At 15 years, he was sent to a neighboring town to learn the business of apothecary. But pharmacy was not chemistry, as Liebig was beginning to understand it, so he entered the University of Bonn. Here was certainly change, much ingenious contemplation, but no chemistry. He traveled to Erlangen, where he heard lectures, read books, and at 19 obtained a degree. Then his chance came. His ability being made known to the Grand Duke of Hesse-Darmstadt, he was provided with the means of studying in Paris. There worked closely giants Gay-Lussac, Thenard, Chevreux, Vaucalin, and Dulong. Nor was it long before Liebig was received into the laboratory of Gay-Lussac. Liebig had, meanwhile, won the appreciation of Humboldt. His was a personality that inspired immediate and warm friendships. Of slender form was he, a friendly earnestness in his regular features, great brown eyes with shady eyebrows, which attracted one instantly. It was Humboldt who, in 1824, brought him as extraordinary professor of chemistry to Gießen. Two years later, he was elected to the ordinary professorship, which office he held for the next 26 years. The dull little town of Gießen became famous, the fires of Liebig's laboratory acted as a beacon light, attracting chastened spirits from the four quarters of the civilized world, for it was not long before the master had roused the Darmstadt government to build a laboratory where all might come and seek and find, and the movement spread. Liebig, through his pupils, tinctured the world. There were other governments than that of Darmstadt, and soon there were other public laboratories than that of Gießen. In 1845, Liebig was created baron. In 1852, he accepted a call of the Bavarian government to the Munich Professorship of Chemistry, warmly appreciated by the Bavarian court, entering into the social and philosophical life of the university town, courted by all the scientific circles of Europe, yet continually fighting, weakening health, Liebig passed the remainder of his life in Munich. He died in 1873. Liebig devoted his full powers of mind to organic chemistry, but did not neglect inorganic chemistry, as his work on the compounds of silicic acid, alumina, and antimony clearly shows. His work in physiological and agricultural chemistry rendered him a general benefactor of mankind, and to quote A. W. von Hoffmann, if we sum up in our minds all that Liebig did for the good of mankind, in industries, in agriculture, and in the laws of health, we may confidently assert that no other man of learning in his course through the world has ever left a more valuable legacy behind him. Writing in 1810, Gay-Lussac and Thernard gave, as a reason for the slow progress of animal and vegetable chemistry, the inadequacy of the methods of organic analysis. In their Recherche Physico-Chimique, which appeared in 1811, they gave an exhaustive description of a new method of organic analysis, the results of analyses of sugar, starch, gum arabic, milk, sugar, wood, and mucic, oxalic, tartaric, and acetic acids, as well as of oils, resins, and waxes, and the following generalizations made from the results of their work. 1. A vegetable substance is always acid when it contains more oxygen than will form water with the hydrogen. 2. It will be always resinous, oily, or alcoholic, 
when it contains less oxygen than suffices the hydrogen. 3. The body will be neither acid nor resinous, but analogous to sugar or ligneous fiber when the oxygen and hydrogen are present in just the proportions to form water. This classification was, of course, of little service, but it was suggestive, and although no proper classification was possible at this time, the interpretation of Gay-Lussac and Thénard gave a stimulus to the study of the constituents of organic compounds. Brazilius explained in 1819 that his electrochemical theory could not be extended to organic chemistry because under the influence of the vital force, the elements there possessed entirely different electrochemical properties. In decay, putrefaction, fermentation, etc., he observes phenomena which he regards as demonstrating the tendency of the elements to return to their normal condition. He did not, at that time, as yet consider it possible to regard all organic substances as binary groups. Dualism was, indeed, extended as far as possible. The oxygen compounds were looked upon as oxides of compound radicals, which, however, do not exist free, but are wholly hypothetical, a mode of regarding the matter which was especially applicable to the acids. In 1838, Liebig defined a compound radical enunciating three characteristics and making use of cyanogen as an instance. We term cyanogen a radical because, one, it is the unchanging constituent of a series of compounds, two, because it is capable of replacement in these by simple substances, and three, because in those cases where it is combined with one element, this latter can be exchanged for its equivalent of another element. At least two of the conditions here adduced had to be fulfilled in order that an atomic complex might be stamped as a radical. The existence of these conditions, moreover, could only be established by the most minute investigation of the chemical behavior of organic bodies. That is to say, the nature of the radicals assumed in the latter could only be arrived at from the study of their reaction and decomposition products. This radical theory aroused considerable interest and chemists of eminence were attracted to the task of investigating the constituents of compounds related to one another. Thus, the research of Bunsen upon cacodyl compounds, which formed one of the strongest supports of the theory, may be mentioned. Robert Wilhelm Bunsen, 1811-1899, enriched every branch of chemistry by his valuable researches. He created the gas analysis methods of today, with Kirchhoff, he developed spectrum analysis into one of the great branches of today, and in his investigations in analytical and inorganic chemistry and in geochemistry, he showed himself a pioneer in the science. Bunsen's researches on the cacodyl compounds resulted in the proof that the so-called alkersin, the product of the distillation of acetate of potash with arsenious acid, contained the oxide of an arseniurated radical arsenic-2, carbon-4, hydrogen-12, hydrogen equals 1, carbon equals 12, arsenic equals 75, this radical remaining unchanged in a long series of reactions of that oxide, and being even itself capable of isolation. This compound element, containing arsenic, an unusual constituent of organic bodies, was thus shown to be a true radical. Inasmuch as the radical was supposed to be constituted of atoms held together by stronger forces than those which united the group to other atoms, it attained a real significance in the minds of chemists, and as the dualistic theory and the theory of compound radicals became more solidly entrenched in chemistry, 
they rendered the atomic theory, on which, of course, they were founded, an essentiality, and even after dualism was discredited, the only changes were in the ideas as to the nature of the ultimate particles, or atoms. About this time, however, facts became known which could not be brought into accord with the radical theory, and as a result, doubts were expressed as to the theory of dualism. But it was the discovery of the principle of substitution which actually caused this theory to succumb, and paved the way for the so-termed unitary theory. The conception of equivalence might have led to that of replacement or substitution, since the quantities of two acids were equivalent when they saturated the same quantity of a base. The acid in a neutral salt could thus be replaced by its equivalent without the neutrality being interfered with. The word replacement received further justification after Mischerlich had studied the phenomena of isomorphism. It could then be said that certain elements in a crystal might be replaced by others without alteration of the crystalline form. Such substitutions possessed the peculiarity, however, that they were not connected with any proportions by weight, and it may thus appear all the more remarkable that they should render important assistance in the determination of atomic weights. The hypothesis underlying the phenomena of isomorphism was that one atom could only be replaced by one other, that is to say, that the numbers of the atoms in isomorphous compounds must be identical. Since chemically similar substances had alone been compared, an extension of the prevailing views, based on the phenomena of isomorphism, would have been quite possible, but this class of phenomena had never led to any attack upon the system. In the bleaching of wax by means of chlorine, Gay-Lussac had observed that for every volume of hydrogen eliminated, an equal volume of chlorine was taken up. He had also found the same thing in the action of chlorine on hydrocyanic acid. In the course of their investigation of the benzoyl compounds previously referred to, Wohler and Liebig, when acting with chlorine upon bitter almond oil, had discovered benzoyl chloride, and they expressly remarked that this substance is produced from the bitter almond oil by two atoms of chlorine taking the place of two of hydrogen. In the year 1834, Dumas, apropos of an investigation on the mutual action between chlorine and oil of turpentine, but more especially of his work upon the production of chloral from alcohol, condensed into two empirical rules the facts with regard to substitution, for which he proposed the designation metalepsy, that is, exchange, metalepsis. These were not intended to comprise a theory of substitution, as his first utterances on the subject show but only to give expression to the facts. They were as follows. When a compound containing hydrogen is exposed to the dehydrogenizing action of chlorine, bromine, or iodine, it takes up an equal volume of chlorine, bromine, etc., for each atom of hydrogen that it loses. If the compound contains water, it loses the hydrogen of this without replacement. The second of these rules was deduced from the transformation of alcohol into chloral, and was thus intended to explain the mode of formation of the latter, and at the same time to support Dumas' view of the constitution of alcohol, the latter being regarded by him as a compound of ethylene and water. By means of various examples, Dumas further endeavored to prove the general validity of the laws which he advanced. In establishing the correct composition of the Dutch oil, he pointed out that the chloride of carbon obtained from it by means of chlorine, and examined by Faraday, supplied a new argument in favor of the accuracy of his views. 
He also found similar support in the action of chlorine on hydrocyanic acid, on bitter almond oil, etc. However, he was unsatisfied with this and extended his statement to one of greater significance regarding oxidations as cases of substitution, as, for instance, the conversion of alcohol into acetic acid. While Dumas limited himself at this time, 1835, to condensing the known facts into the above laws, Auguste Laurent, 1807-1853, a pupil of Dumas, went further and considered the nature of the compounds resulting from substitution and made a comparison of them with the original ones. He was thereby induced to enunciate the proposition that the structure and chemical nature of organic compounds are not materially changed by the entrance of chlorine and the separation of hydrogen. This law is the core of the substitution theory proper of which Laurent was the propounder. Laurent endeavored to give expression to the observed facts and to the hypotheses based upon them in the so-called nucleus theory. This theory is of importance in the science, although it never obtained any general recognition in it, because chemists have adopted, if in another form, many of the ideas embraced by it, and also because it was adopted by Gmelin as the basis of the organic portion of his excellent handbook. On this account, the chief points of Laurent's doctrines will be stated. According to Laurent, all organic substances contain certain nuclei, which he calls either fundamental, radicaux fundamentaux, or derived. The former are compounds of carbon with hydrogen, in which the mutual proportion of the number of the atoms is a simple one, 1 to 2, 3, 4, etc., 2 to 3, etc. For any definite proportion, several nuclei exist which are polymeric among themselves. Besides, these fundamental radicals are so chosen that the hydrogen and carbon atoms contained in them occur in pairs. The derived nuclei, radical derivés, were produced from the original nuclei, either through the substitution of hydrogen by other elements or by the addition of other atoms. This theory manifestly sprang from the old radical theory, but with an important change, namely, the radical here is not an unchanging group of atoms, but it is a combination which can be changed through the substitution of equivalents. It is but a step in the evolution of the modern theory, as seen in the benzene nucleus. The nucleus theory was regarded as unscientific by Liebig, and Berzelius opposed it, but the latter was moved before long by Malaguti's investigation of the simple and compound ethers, in which he demonstrated that the chlorine atoms again played the part just as the hydrogen atoms they had displaced, and as Armitage observes in his History of Chemistry, he saw that here was the thin edge of a most potent wedge, which, unless immediately removed, might break down the whole fabric of that chemical theory he had spent so much on building. Before Laurent, in conjunction with Gerhardt, had again brought forward his ideas in a more perfect form, Dumas entered the list to do battle against the radical theory, and with this, against the dualistic idea in general. His beautiful discovery of chloroacetic acid afforded him the immediate occasion for this, and he now gave in his adhesion to Laurent's opinions, which formerly he would have nothing to do with. By the action of chlorine in sunlight upon acetic acid, Dumas had obtained a crystalline substance whose composition could be expressed by the formula carbon-4, chlorine-6, hydrogen-2, oxygen-4, and which could, therefore, be regarded as acetic acid, carbon-4, hydrogen-8, oxygen-4, 
in which six atoms or volumes of hydrogen were replaced by six atoms of chlorine. The interesting and important part of this reaction lay in the properties of the new compound, which Dumas called chloracetic acid. This acid had the same saturating capacity as acetic acid, so that Dumas was able to assert that by the entrance of chlorine in place of the hydrogen, the chief character of the compound was not altered, or as he expresses himself, that in organic chemistry there are certain types which persist even when an equal volume of chlorine, bromine, or iodine is introduced into them in place of the hydrogen which they contain. He was thus led to the same view which had already been taken up by Laurent, but his theory of types, 1839, was hardly a mere application of the views of Laurent. The principal propositions of this theory were as follows. 1. The elements of a compound body can, in many cases, be replaced by equivalents of other elements or of compound bodies which play the part of simple ones. 2. If such a substitution occurs equivalent for equivalent, the compound in which the replacement has taken place retains its chemical type, and the element or group which has been taken up plays in it the same part as the element which has gone out. The term chemical type failed to satisfy Dumas, however, and he permitted it to merge into that of mechanical type, which included all compounds which might be supposed to be formed from one another by substitution, even though they differed in properties. Berzelius could not accept these views, and when Dumas characterized his electrochemical theory as erroneous, an embittered discussion ensued which lasted for years. The proposition of Dumas that every chemical compound forms a complete whole and cannot therefore consist of two parts, that its chemical character is dependent primarily upon the arrangement and number of the atoms, and in a lesser degree upon their chemical nature, proclaimed a decided unitarism, and was therefore violently opposed by Berzelius. Berzelius sought to get over the difficulties which the substitution of hydrogen by chlorine and other elements involved by arguing that compounds formed in this manner must have a constitution different from that of the original ones but here he entered upon dangerous ground, and was thereby led, prudent investigator as he was, into the most utter contradictions of the principles which he had formerly held to be inviolable. Facts now increased which went to demonstrate the correctness of the theory of substitution, and in 1842 Melsons found that by the action of potassium amalgam on a water solution of trichloroacetic acid, its chlorine was completely replaced by hydrogen, acetic acid being reproduced. This was a discovery of the greatest import, as it showed inverse substitution was possible, yet it did not shake Berzelius's faith. He merely decided to look upon acetic acid in the same way as its chlorine derivative, that is, as a copulated oxalic acid with the copula methyl, carbon 2H3, formulating the two compounds thus carbon-2, hydrogen-3, plus carbon-2, oxygen-3, dot, hydrogen-oxygen, acetic acid, carbon-2, chlorine-3, plus carbon-2, oxygen-3, dot, hydrogen-oxygen, chloracetic acid. This was practically giving up the fight, as by it he acknowledged that the parling or copula could undergo substitution, and that its exact nature did not have a predominating influence in determining the nature of the compound into which it entered. Yet Berzelius remained an opponent of the theory of types until his death in 1848, and his adherents experienced great difficulty in reconstructing radicals anew 
from his copulae after his death. In 1845, A. W. Hoffman discovered the substituted anilines and observed that it appeared without doubt that chlorine or bromine could assume the role of hydrogen in organic compounds, taking their electronegative character with them into the new compounds. Liebig commented on Hoffman's report as follows. The author appears to have definitely proved that the chemical nature of a compound does not in any way depend upon the nature of the elements contained in it, as is assumed by the electrochemical theory, but entirely on their arrangement. Liebig now turned to the unitary theory and opposed Berzelius's attempted explanations. Other prominent chemists, too, became his opponents, and yet, in spite of the slight regard in which the radical theory was held in many quarters, it soon became evident that, for the investigation of chemical constitution, the assumption of radicals, which had been displaced by the theory of types, was indispensable. In the fifth decade, a fusion of the radical theory with the doctrine of types occurred on the unitary side, and as a result of the work of Auguste Laurent and Charles Gerhardt, 1816-1856, the older theory of types was transformed into the new theory. In 1839, Gerhardt published his views on the process which occurs when an element is replaced by a group of atoms. In his opinion, it was not a substitution, but a union of two residues to a unitary whole and not an articulated binary compound. He termed these groups of atoms les restes or les restants, and later developed his theory of residues, according to which a residue could have the composition of a compound radical but was not present as such in a compound. His conception of radicals soon replaced the older views, and its introduction into the theory of types induced a fusion of both theories. The first advance in this direction was made in 1849, when C. A. Wirtz, 1817-1884, discovered the compound ammonias. Hoffman found another method of preparing the bases discovered by Wirtz, and the typical view of these bases was first arrived at by means of his investigations. He showed that in the amine bases, as well as in aniline, the two hydrogen atoms of the amide could be replaced by alcohol radicals. A. W. Williamson, 1824-1904, then demonstrated that in a similar manner the alcohols and their ethers could be referred to the type water. He also pointed out that acetic acid must have a constitution similar to that of alcohol and proposed to call the radical carbon-2, hydrogen-3, oxygen, obtained from ethyl by oxygen substitution, offyl. Gerhardt, employing a reaction similar to that by which Williamson had prepared the ethers, discovered the anhydrous acids, and chemists began to attempt to find among the more simple inorganic compounds other types for organic compounds thereby giving rise to Gerhardt's theory of types. According to this theory, the organic compounds of known constitution can be classified under four types, namely hydrogen, hydrochloric acid, water, and ammonia. For example, the hydrocarbons, aldehydes, and the acetones or ketones were classed in the first type, the halides, chlorides, bromides, iodides, and fluorides in the second, the alcohols, ethers, monobasic acids, and sulfides and hydrosulfides in the third, and the amines were placed in the fourth type. The general arrangement and the comprehensive character of Gerhardt's system leave nothing to be desired. Even although views have been considerably changed and cleared up since that time, and although one is compelled from the modern standpoint 
to look upon the types as insufficient, still, Gerhardt's services to chemistry can never be questioned. Unfortunately, he did not live to witness the reception which was extended by many chemists to the views laid down by him in the fourth volume of his Lehrbuch der Organischen Chemie. The type theory was particularly extended by the assumption of mixed types, which was intended to render clear the relations of many organic compounds to two or more types. This was particularly applied by Auguste Kekulé. It was also in the fifth decade that Hermann Kolbe, 1818-1884, revived the much-ridiculed copulae. He and Sir Edward Frankland, 1825-1899, were followers of Berzelius and held similar views to Gerhardt. But as they did not accept at that time either the new atomic weights or the existence of radicals containing oxygen, they made use of other formulae. Kolbe united the conclusions deduced from his researches with the declining theory of Berzelius. He induced the latter with new life by casting aside whatever of it was dead and replacing this by vigorous principles. From his own and other investigations, he came to the conclusion that the unalterability of radicals, as taught by Berzelius, could no longer be maintained, since the facts of substitution had to be taken into account. He did indeed adopt Berzelius's hypothesis of copulae, but attached another meaning to these, since he allowed that they exercised a not inconsiderable influence upon the compounds with which they were copulated. He endeavored to make this theory have a deeper bearing upon the constitution of organic compounds, and as a result of the influence of several important researches, his ideas regarding copulae and conjugated compounds were altered several times. His theoretical views, and with them the revived radical theory, reached their completed form in a contribution published in 1859. The principal result of Kolbe's speculations is given as follows. Organic compounds are all derivatives of inorganic, or result from the latter, in some cases directly, by wonderfully simple substitution processes. This idea runs through the 1859 contribution, and is illustrated by numerous examples from the wide field of organic chemistry. End of chapter 12. Section 16.